I invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 39. That's where we, we made it all the way from 21 to 39 last Sunday. And I'm just teasing. We're still in chapter 21. <laughs> still in chapter 21. No, we really didn't even finish 21. But we got close. We got close. So last week we, we looked at the birth of Isaac. We looked at the, um, the sending away of Hagar and uh, Ishmael. Can y'all hear me okay? Without, all right, without a mic. I'm just so excited about the roof. Uh, I, I'm sorry, just this makes all the difference. Before, there's no way you would have heard us, heard me talking, even with that, with, uh, with uh, just thunder like it is right now. But normally it's so loud. But anyway, thank you, thank the Lord for that. Um, but we made it through, let's see, verse, where do we leave off? Verse 20, 21. I think we made it to 21, where God. Uh, concurred and had Isaac listen to his wife and send Hagar and Ishmael away. And we talked about, uh, just as we left, the area, uh, the wilderness of Paran where they settled is the same area where, um, uh, that's Saudi Arabia today. That area is Saudi Arabia and uh, the descendants of Ishmael still inhabit that area and others, but that area primarily today. And they, those descendants are very wealthy indeed. Uh, they sit on a whole lot of oil and uh, gas and, and other things there as well. But this, those descendants are, are wealthy. God did honor his promise to, to bless Ishmael uh, even though he was not the son of promise. And even though he allowed the sending away of them at uh, Sarah's request. So that's, 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 um, that seems odd that God would allow that. It doesn't make sense. But everything the Lord does doesn't always make sense to us here. But we do understand still, and, and I think this is something we ended on, that uh, um, God was not endorsing Sarah's jealousy, but he states the reason for the sending away in verse 12. And the reason was that he was reemphasizing that the... Um, and in fact, let's, let's look at verse 12 one more time. God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants will be, will be named. And so God was reaffirming that his promise, the seed, uh, the covenant, fulfillment, all of the blessings were coming not through Ishmael, but through Isaac. Uh, yeah, through Isaac. Ishmael was man's attempt to do uh, right. It was man, not to do just right, but it was man's attempt to, to, uh, to bring glory. It was man's attempt to uh, bring promise. It was man's attempt to fulfill. But Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the one that God promised that he would bring the blessing through. He would bring the land promised through. He would bring the Messiah through. It's, it's not man's way. And so the sending away, if nothing else, it's that reason so that Ishmael is not a problem. Ishmael had disparaged Isaac or, or, and his mother in some way. We read that last week. But um, the, the promise was coming through Isaac. So God does indeed send Ishmael and Hagar away. And, and I think last week we mentioned even Romans 9 to look into where it talks about God's sovereignty and he can choose one and not choose the other. Uh, love one and hate the other, it says, but um, we need to make sure we understand all that properly. But still, God can do what he wants to. Ishmael is symbolic of man and, and his attempt to do things his way in the flesh and in his own power. Isaac is, uh, represents the Spirit and doing things according to God's plan and promise. And so we looked at those, those parallels. And so today, let's pick up here so that we can uh, get through chapter 21. And Lord willing, we'll jump on into chapter 22 here. Chapter 22 is one of the most profound chapters in the whole Bible. Uh, this this is just profound, absolutely profound. So we'll, we'll spend some time there. But let's pick up at verse 22. And, uh, and let's jump right in here. So it says, Now it came about at that time, this is after God had sent Hagar and Ishmael away, it came about after that time, or about that time, that uh, uh, Abimelech and uh, Pekol, the, the H is silent, and Abimelech's not actually how we pronounce that either, but that's our Anglicized way of saying it. But Abimelech and Pekol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abram, or excuse me, Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. And that's a pretty amazing statement from some, a bunch of heathens, all right? They were just heathens, and, and these were a godless people for the most part, but they recognized that God was with them, that, that Abram, Abraham, 
was being blessed. God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my uh, posterity, but according to the kindness that I have shown to you, you shall show to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. Now, so here's Abimelech. Abimelech, you might remember back from, from chapter 20. Um, when Abraham travels toward the land of the Negev and the Negev, excuse me, and settled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourn there, um, during that time he meets Abimelech. And remember what what did Abram do? Abraham I keep saying Abram. He's Abraham now. What did Abraham do to Abimelech? Do you remember? Chapter twenty. Yeah, he lied again about his wife, about her being his sister. He didn't want to, on account of her beauty. Now think, she's she's a uh, hundred years old here and I mean she had to have been a looker now because that's twice that's twice that he's lied about her uh, saying that she was his sister he wanted to not be killed and uh, and sure enough she was a looker because what happened the king sent for her the king wanted to bring Abimelech wanted to bring her in and anyway the Lord works through all that protects Abraham even though he was a liar twice now he lied uh, the Lord protects him uh, and then still blesses them pulls them out and so here is Abimelech saying, look, you know, I, I let you go. I kind of let you off the hook here. You still got your wife. I'm just kind of paraphrasing and maybe I'm reading into this a little bit, but, but not, not trying to change it at all. I'm not just, just trying to help us get the flavor here. He's like, look, I treated you well. I didn't have to do that. So, so return the favor to me, return the favor to me and, and be gracious to me. And so he says, uh, let's see, I lost my place. 21. Here we go. He says, deal, deal kindly with me. Deal, deal, deal right with me. And so, where, where is this? There we go, right here. Uh, swear to me here that you will not deal falsely with me, verse 23. He says, uh, um, be, you, know, you shall show to me and, and to the land in which you have sojourned. And, and Abraham said, I swear, verse 24. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. Now this is, this is just a narrative here, and it seems kind of um, just non-relevant to anything, but there is something here I want us to see. So Abraham notices that the servants of Abimelech have seized this property that belonged to Abraham. This well was his. And so Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this thing, neither did you tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. So in a way it would seem and again, I don't want to read too much into it because there's, there's not really any commentary that gets added to this, this story here. But it, it appears to me, at least, that Abimelech's just trying to, you know, like, I didn't know anything about this. And he's just kind of, you know, washing his hands of the whole situation. I'm not saying he knew about it, but it seems that he's not wanting to do anything about it now that he knows. That's just my personal opinion about this matter, okay? Just, just throwing that out there. It's not going to matter a whole lot. And yet, look, look at the response of Abraham. This, I think, is super telling. He's, so Abimelech has no idea what's going on. But Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. Then Abraham set seven ewe lambs uh, of the flock by themselves. Abimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven ewe lambs mean, which you have set by themselves? And so he said... You shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand in order that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. Now, now notice, who, is, who does the well belong to already? It belongs to Abraham already. Abimelech's people are, have taken it. They've seized it, it sounds like. And they're using it, keeping Abraham from, you, Abraham from using it. Keep saying Abram, Abraham. He's Abraham now. He's father Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons. Y'all remember that? Okay, all right. There you go. So that's Abraham. But Abraham goes above and beyond to set the record straight. And this, I think, is, is a great lesson. And if this is the only lesson we get from the rest of this chapter, I think this is a profound thing for us to, to, to remember and even to seek to live by. Even though he owned this, rather than arguing his rights and his prerogatives, he bought it again. He didn't, he didn't make any excuses he didn't, uh, he didn't try to stand on, well, God gave me this land. He didn't do anything like that. He went out of his way to be kind and keep the relationship good. That's hard to do at times, isn't it? I mean, I've faltered and flustered and messed up relationships and think I need to do certain things for my rights. And, and what does Abram, Abraham, 
what does Abram do? Abraham changes his name to Ab- Abraham, and Kevin just can't remember that. But what does Abraham do, though? Even though it's his well, he still goes above and beyond to repurchase it, just to set the record straight. I think that's a, that's a good thing. That's a very, a very telling thing of his character. Yes, he's lied twice, but he's still God's man. He's still God's man, and he still, he still has integrity, and, and, and he's seeking to do things uh, above reproach here. And, and that is a very noteworthy uh, testament to who Abraham was, who he is here at this point of the story even. So, yeah. yeah. What did Hosea buy back? His wife. That's right. And that's, I love that story because... Um, Hosea, and y'all, did y'all go through this in Sunday school or your sermon? I think that y'all haven't gone through, didn't, did, somebody, we were just talking about Hosea. Was that you and I? Okay. But the story of Hosea is, 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 is a good illustration. Uh, God tells Hosea to marry this um, uh, immoral woman, uh, prostitute, basically. And, uh, uh, and she is, remains unfaithful, and God keeps him in the relationship, makes him stay faithful to her, and, and he does repurchase her uh, off the slave block again. And what God does is then says, look, the same way that I'm having you do this, this is my love for this wayward people. And he uses it to teach about Israel. They are the harlot. Israel has played the harlot. And I have purchased Israel. I've redeemed Israel. And she is mine. And that's the story. Hosea was, was in the role of God there. He's the type of God. Typology we'll talk about here in a second. And then obviously um, his wife was, was a... Oh, something in my eye was a type of of Israel, and so great, great story, great story. But back to Abraham, back to Abraham here. So we see that even the even the heathen or the heathen, as we say here, the heathen, they recognize that's not a real word, I don't think, but the heathen recognize that that God was blessing Abraham, and Abraham, in the midst of that conversation still chooses to go above and beyond and go out of his way in order to not taint the witness of God. And he buys back something that already belonged to him, like Hosea buying back his wife. And so they recognized that God was gracious and he extended goodwill to Abraham, to his people. But what Abraham does then, instead of of demanding his rights, he still goes above and beyond to do the right thing. Now, let's, let's read on here. And so... He said, You shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand in order that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. And so he's laying it out there. And, and, and well, let's read on and see, see what happens. So, therefore, he called the place Beersheba because there the two of them took an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. And Abimelech and Picol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of Yahweh, on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. So they made an agreement. They made a covenant. And so this pagan, uh, heathen king, uh, he recognizes that indeed that belonged to Abraham. Now, what's so amazing as this story is going to continue to unfold, as this story has yet to continue to unfold, there have been some very monumental, very concrete, um, just, I'm, just absolutely breathtaking, just amazing happenings already in this land. And so I don't think it's incidental that Abram, Abraham goes above and beyond in making sure the world knows, these heathen know, that everybody knows that this land is Abraham's. This is the land, part of the land at least, where God brought Abraham to and part of the land that God gave to Abraham. That's important. And it's very important that it is in the rightful ownership of Abraham, who is Father Abraham, father of the Jewish people. Because this same parcel of land is going to play predominant roles throughout the rest of our biblical history. And still, this parcel of land is going to fulfill even more history. Uh, It's yet to happen, but prophetically speaking, this parcel of land, this is some of the most important real estate on the planet. There's a little place called Jerusalem, okay, in Israel. It happens to be the same place where the Messiah gave his life. 
Folks, this is that piece of land. This is that piece of land. This is not a small matter. This is a tremendous deal. And Abraham goes above and beyond to acquire this land back, even though it was already his. Make sure there's a deed, basically, okay? There's a, there's a recognition, there's an oath, a covenant that's sworn between God's man, Abraham, and this um, other heathen king. And so the Philistines would also know. The surrounding people would also know. And it's funny that even today, people really know that that land belongs to, to the Jewish people. And yet, they still are trying to undermine that. Still happening. It's been happening for thousands of years already. But it's, it's also still happening uh, e- even today. But I, I emphasize that because in chapter 22, I don't know how far we'll get today. But in chapter 22, this piece of land is going to play a predominant role in the Gospels, this parcel of land is going to play a predominant role. This is a very, very important piece of real estate. And so just real quick, just looking at in verse 33 again, Abraham plants a tree, it's a tamarisk tree. Um, I, I used to know what type of tree this was, like we would relate to it today. I cannot remember for the life of me now uh, what it is. But he plants this tree later in, in um, let's see, later... Uh, I can't remember. Um, I want to say, I want to say Deuteronomy 16, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I want to say Deuteronomy 16, that Moses uh, forbids planting trees here. I think that's where it is. I, I, I can't remember, but just, you might want to jot that down and maybe look into that. That's not the most important thing pertinent thing for us to remember tonight, but I, I'm pretty sure, I didn't, I didn't write that down. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's verse 21. You shall not plant for yourself an Asherah or any kind of tree beside the altar of the Lord your God, which you shall make for yourself. This is that same, that same parcel of land. And the reason is idolatry. There's, there's some idolatry factors. But, but he forbids planting of trees in this general area after this. But we're going to recognize that there are still trees there because when we get to the garden situation where Jesus is in the garden praying, uh, he's in a grove of trees. I mean, there are trees around. And whether they had been planted before or after, if they obeyed, they weren't planted after that. At least the Jews didn't plant them after that. But anyway, just... That was just a, a, a fact that, that came to mind. I, I'm not sure how important that is, but it's like a cedar. That's it. Thank you. A cedar. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, anyway, so, so there were no more to be planted here. But what's, what's interesting is where this particular spot that these trees were planted, these, if these are indeed, and I, I, believe, I believe that they are, if these are indeed the trees that Jesus prayed in, under, around, um, these would be looking, these trees would be looking right up to Golgotha where Jesus was crucified on another tree. Uh, so it's a, pretty, it's a pretty interesting way all this ties together, which brings us to 22. And I, and I kind of belabored that point so that we could get to chapter 22 and see. Because chapter 22, as I mentioned, I think this is probably uh, one of the most profound passages in, in all of the Scripture. Because this, this passage points and foreshadows the Father giving His only begotten Son, uh, as John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What happens in Genesis 22 is a type of that, a foreshadowing of that. And we'll talk about what a type is here in just a second. But again, most, one of the most amazing passages here. We're going to see two things for the first time here. So let's start reading and let's just see how far we get. I don't know that we'll talk about everything that needs to be talked about tonight in this chapter because I, I'm going to intentionally slow down a little bit here because this is so profound. There is, there is such a, a resemblance between this and the crucifixion of Jesus, the Father giving His Son. I don't want us to miss this, and I think that's by design. It's absolutely by design. Verse 1 of 22. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. There's a mount, uh, system of mountains there. And, and, and we say mountains. It's more like hills. But this is a, a mountainous region. All right. But go to the land of Moriah 
excuse me, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Let's just keep reading for a bit here. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Now, let me stop there for a minute because already these two things have been introduced. This is the first time the word love is used in the Bible, and it's also the first time we see someone worshiping with it being called out as worship, okay? So love and worship, this is their first mention. Now, there is a a principle in, in Bible study known as the law of first mention or the rule of first mention, and that is the first time we see a word or a concept, it normally, typically, will define the usage thereafter. So what do we see the very first time love is mentioned here in Scripture? We see a father giving his only son, the son whom he loves. And that's going to be repeated over and over here we're going to see. It's a tremendous, tremendous revealing of God's love for us here in this this story. As I mentioned earlier, this is a a type. And a type, when we talk about a type, T-Y-P-E, or typology, it's a symbol of something that represents something else. And I know that's, that's pretty simplified, so let me just add a little bit more to it. We can define a type as a prophetic symbol because all types are representations of something yet future. So when we see a type like here, a father loving his son, yes, Abraham literally was told to do this, to sacrifice his son, although we know God never intended for it to actually go, him to go through with it. Uh, God was planning to stop it. We'll, we'll see that over, over the next couple Sunday nights here. But the command is there for a father to give to sacrifice the only son whom he loved. That's foreshadowing a greater father and the greater son. The, God the Father and God the, God the Son, Jesus. And so it's a typology. It's something prophetic. So more specifically, a type in Scripture is a person or a thing in the Old Testament which foreshadows a person or a thing in the New Testament. And that's predominantly what we mean when we talk about a type, typology. So it's a symbol that points to something physical in the future, something legitimate in, a, in the future. And, and, and folks, listen, this isn't the only one. There are entire volumes that deal with typology. And one of the books I lost in the flood was, was, a, uh, it was two volumes. I, I wish I could remember the name, but it, was, it, was, it dealt with typology. It was two volumes uh, together. They were about this thick. Okay, they're, they're about this thick each. And, and both volumes were full of typologies from the Old Testament into the, to the New. Uh, it's two books that uh, Daryl Clem, my friend Daryl, had, had passed on to me. Um, but there are many, many types in the Scripture. And so it's an important thing. So let's go through here and, and let's just start and, and make our way through now. We've, we've read through verse 5, so let's talk about these, these verses for a little bit. First of all, just a couple, a couple of big, broad things we see here, some practical things. And the first one would be this. For Abraham, this is not a temptation to do evil. This is a test of his faith. And that's important to remember. God doesn't tempt us to do evil, but God will test our faith. He's done it uh, throughout the Scriptures with others, and there's no reason to say that he won't test our faith as well. But it's the devil who tempts men in order to hurt us. The devil tempts us. And he does so to hurt us, to to knock us off our saddle, so to speak. But God tests us in order to strengthen us. That's why God tests us, in order to strengthen us. We may see that we're not as strong as we need to be, and it gives us the opportunity to repent and to strengthen up and shore up those weak areas. And thank God that he does that. But the devil tempts us so that we may fall when tempted. God tests us so that we may stand when we're tested. They are not the same thing. But here's a very practical question I want to ask. When we're going through something like that, how do we know it's from God or the devil? It's, sometimes it's hard to know at the beginning, isn't it? I think that's a fair statement, PJ. Yeah. It's something that we wrongly desire already. That's, 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 a very good, that's a very good insight. It's a very good insight. So God's testing is not the same as Satan's tempting. 
Okay? They are different. They are different. And if we will look at what the subject matter is of the situation, more than likely, I think PJ's um, statement there will more than likely pan out. I do. I do. Just know God isn't trying to make us fall. He's trying to help us to stand. He knows us. He does not tempt us beyond our ability and will always make a way out for us to escape when we're in a predicament. 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Just remember that. 1 Corinthians 10.13. But here's another practical lesson. God's testing of Abraham here to see if he loved Isaac more than, than he loved God. Now that sounds kind of, uh, kind of selfish of God, right? But anything we love more than God is what? It's an idol. It's idolatry. It's wrong. And so we, we can, I know we don't bow to wooden totems and idols and those kind of things anymore, but, but anything we give more money to and more attention to and more energy to, all those things, whatever occupies our mind and our efforts and our energies the most, that is, that's an object of worship to us. And, and I, again, I know that, that we don't bow to those things per se, but, but the concept absolutely stands, and, and God knows that. And, and so we want, to, we want to honor God with all of those things, with all of our effort and energy and time and resources, money, whatever it might be. We want to do that. And, and so what, what God is doing here is testing, yeah, testing, not tempting, testing uh, Abraham to see if the son of promise is more important to him than the God who, who fulfills the promise. It's the same kind of thing that Jesus is asking Peter in John chapter 21, verse 15. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these even? And Peter, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, you know all things. You know that I love you. Can't wait to get to that chapter. Uh, we're going to get there. That's right. Yeah, yeah. How, how, it, cause, cause if not, we've got a problem, don't we? We've got a problem. In fact, Mike, you, you just reminded me of something. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm glad you brought that up. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Whoops. Come on, Hebrews. <clears throat> Hebrews 11. Look at verses. That's 12. Look at verses 17 through 19. <clears throat> it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. You see, the writer of Hebrews tells us exactly what's going on with this story. It's a type, the father, the son. But he tells us also what Mike's talking about. He tells us that Abraham had to have really trusted God here. And God's, well, it plays out that way. God's testing him to see. And we know it plays out that way. And, and I think even in these first few verses, we see that at least till we get to the top of Mount Moriah, it, Abraham is being very obedient. And his trust of God has to be built in, into something. And, and it is. It's, 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 it's a faith in God. Sure, he's faltered a few times, but, but look what he does. God calls him and, 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 uh, and tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. Abraham responds, here I am. And God says, verse 2, Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. There's no argument that's recorded. There's no argument. There's no questions. There's no bargaining. And look, look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. The very first thing in the morning, first light, what does he do? He's obedient to this difficult request from God. He's obedient. And folks, um, I'm not going to sit here and pat myself on the back and say, I would be able to do this also. And I would have awoken before dawn and gone. No, I, 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 think, I, would, I think I would argue with the Lord. I don't think I could give my children. I don't. I, don't, I just, I just, I, I pray I'm never put in that situation. Okay, I just, that would be very difficult. I know God's gracious. I know God will give us the strength to do what we're supposed to do. Folks, I'm telling you, uh, that's why I wasn't Abraham. 
That would be very hard to do. That'd be very hard to do. But Abram does it. Obedience was immediate. His obedience was immediate. He, he, which is really another good point here. You could call this point three um, for practical kind of lessons. Abraham obeyed without reserve or delay, even though the command seemed strange and extreme. And, uh, you know, James, James, James 2.23 calls Abraham a friend of God, a friend of God. And uh, that's huge. I mean, friends don't ask friends to, to sacrifice their son. And yet, Abraham's called a friend of God. That's, I think that's very telling. I think that's very telling. His faithfulness. That's true. That's true. And thanks. That makes me feel a little bit better about myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm not 20 anymore either, but still. <clears throat> yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. <clears throat> That's not at you. I'm just clearing my throat. <clears> That's. Yep, that's the last Sunday. God showed him miraculousness. He had him. God built that faith in him. Yeah, yeah. And that's what Mr. Mike was, was echoing too. That's right. So, and God is faithful. And, and Abraham, um, because of the faithfulness of God, he is faithful back to the Lord in answering and responding to this. And so, what we see, in fact, we can, we can um, well... Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 again. In, in his darkest hour, he trusts the Lord because the Lord had been faithful through those other times in his life. And, and folks, I see that in our lives. The Lord is absolutely faithful. Um, again, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put the Lord to the test here and say, test me now with my children. That's, that's not at all the intent, Lord. And I know you hear me. That's not the intent. But, but I know he's faithful. He is. He's absolutely faithful. And I know he can do absolutely anything. Amen? He can. He, he's shown us his faithfulness. Uh, just, just look what he's even done here uh, amongst us. It's just he is absolutely trustworthy. And so we should obey him instantly. We should, absolutely. Um, I am just grateful the way you mentioned, though, Mike. I'm just grateful that, that he's patient and he doesn't put more on us than we can bear at any given moment in our, in our walk. So I'm very grateful for that. Now let's, let's keep reading. Let's learn some more here. We've got some time. We're going to get all the way through at least verse 7. All right, at least verse 7. <clears throat> Where are we at right now? Verse 1? No, no, we're, we're further than that. So Abraham, verse 3 again, rose early. Immediate obedience. Rose early in the morning. He, he, he saddles the donkey. He took two young men <clears throat> with him and Isaac, his son, and, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4, on the third day, which again, does that sound familiar? On the third day, and just think about this. When you, when you think about, about Jesus, Jesus was sacrificed and he was dead and buried. He was in the grave for three days. Symbolically speaking, the moment God said, take your son to, to kill him, and then he travels with his dead son for three days, symbolically. I, again, I just don't think any of these words are incidental to, to this or coincidental. I think, I think this is very telling and, and very much pointing to our Heavenly Father and Jesus the Son. So on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Now, uh, verse 5, Abraham said to his young to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go there, and we will worship. First mention of worship, and it involves, it involves um, um, a father sacrificing a son. So that ought to cause some alert to us and some alarm, because when we read throughout Scripture, God was adamantly opposed with human sacrifice and with child sacrifice. And that's going to be spelled out very, very clearly here. And those who try to um, distort the Bible and undermine the Bible, they like to point to the story going, look, even your own God contradicts himself by asking a father to give his son. So what's the answer to that? Well, he does hate it, but yeah, God never, was never going to allow that, that boy to be killed. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
it was testing his, his Abraham's faith, but God has already instituted a provision, and we're going to get to it. There's a ram that's going to be provided, but it's God's, God's covered all those angles, and if you and I just but read the text, <clears throat> we see, we see the answers, but here's, here's one more thing, the last part of that verse. We will worship and return to you, and again, I, I love this phrase. This is just, just puts the, this is concrete for me now. Abraham believed exactly what Hebrews 11, verses 17, 18, and 19, 19 said. We will worship and we will return to you. The we is implied there. That's all. The we is the subject of, of both of those things. We are going to worship and we are going to return. So Abraham knew one way or the other, just like the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, 17, 18, and 19, that he and his son would come back because he's the son of promise. God had already promised that the inheritance would come through this boy. So if God was going to allow him to be killed, he would have to raise him from the dead. That's a big deal. That is a tremendous faith. Oh, that I could have that kind of faith. Oh, that we would have that kind of faith. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, <clears throat> and he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And this is, this is just tremendous. Give me a second. This verse always gets me. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. To the two of, uh, so the two of them walked on together. Now let me tell you how it literally reads in Hebrew. Because this is... Some English words have been added in order to make it read a little more clearly. It literally says this. Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You notice the difference? Will provide himself the lamb. The whole point of this story is pointing. God the Father giving his only begotten son. And what's God telling even through Abram here? That God is going to give himself as the lamb. Even in this very event... There's a, there's a prophecy. The lamb. That's exactly right. The is there. That's right. God, Abraham rather speaking prophetically here. Did he know it at the time? Who knows? Who knows? But what Abraham literally says is God will provide himself the lamb. And we could, I guess we could look at it two ways. God's going to find the lamb that needs to be sacrificed. But that's weak. Really how it reads is God's given himself as the sacrifice. I think that's the right interpretation, the right understanding. So the two of them walked on together. Folks, that's, that's tremendous. That's tremendous, especially in light of the place where they are. Because they're at Mount Moriah. And where is Mount Moriah? Mount Moriah was later renamed the Hill of the Skull. Mount Moriah is Golgotha, where Jesus was sacrificed. Exact same place. And what's even more amazing, if you, if you start getting out your, your topographical maps and you look at this area, this plateau, and, and what's even uh, more amazing is that later uh, King David is going to rebuy this parcel of land too. There's a, a threshing floor. Uh, he's going to re reacquire. Uh, this is God's piece of real estate, and, and Abraham gets it, and, and David's going to uh, pay for it even again. just shows you God's going above and beyond to claim this place as his. And, and, this, and this area, uh, that threshing floor, is also this very place we're talking about here. If you look at that spot, that elevation of this spot is 777 feet above sea level. It just, I, you just can't make that stuff up, Okay. Now, maybe that's just coincidental, maybe. But 777 is a pretty special number. And when we get on into our Revelation study, we're going to see the significance of the number 7. We're going to see when a number is repeated three times what that means further in our study of Revelation. But this area is the perfect spot where the perfect God gives the perfect sacrifice in the perfect Son. You just you can't make this stuff up. Anyway, look, I got chills. This is just good. This is, this is just how, how much God's put into this. And, and again, folks, this wasn't just like God going, okay, man, these people sinned. Uh, um, son, you got an idea? What can we do? I mean, God has this plan before the foundation of the world. Before any of us existed, God's already provided this lamb. It's already as good as done. 
And, and this whole orchestration uh, uh, from all the way back into Genesis here, it's just, it's, it's, it's such a testament that, that God is the one true God. Amen? That God is real and that, that anything he chooses to come to pass will absolutely come to pass, even if humans have to pay for it two or three times over. It's going to come to pass. And that's exactly what we see here. There's so much here. Uh, I'm, I'm watching the clock because I want to I go a little further here. So um, let, let's keep going. So, so verse 8, God will provide himself the lamb. That's right, the lamb uh, for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, how do you think, suppose Isaac is at this point? Well, we're worried about the Bible. I like veggie tales, but no, we're not going to be consuming veggie tales. Well, yes. That's right. His dad's elderly. Huh? I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but. But but I, I would agree that he's not six or seven or, or, or he's That's right. That's right. He's at least fifteen. Why? Why? You're right. He's at least fifteen because come on. Huh? It has to do with Ishmael. The promise and after Ishmael is growing up. And then Abram, Abraham comes into, Abraham, Isaac, I'm just going to butcher that up all night. Isaac comes into the picture. Some time has passed here. No doubt, he's, he's, he's probably 20 years old at this point. He's a young man. And, and, um, and if you want to really concrete those times, go back to 13. <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> No, 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 no. And, 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 and again, like what you said, I mean, he's, he's big enough to fight back. He's big enough to run, and he doesn't do any of those things. That's, that's as amazing as what Abraham's having to do here. Wow, that sounds so familiar. Just like who? <laughs> Just like Jesus. That's right. And, I, and, I, and that's, that also is not an insignificant point. So, so let's, let's read, and then we'll make that point. In, again, a little, little bolder here even. Let's just read, read a little bit further. So, he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay a son. And still, there's no, there's no fighting back. There's no in, inclination of a response from his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now, let's stop there for a second. Because here, again, just what, what you said, Mr. Mike, is, is, is profound. Because <clears throat> that's what happens. The son is laying down his life for his father. And, you know, as, as the scripture says, greater love is no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Isaac is laying down his life. He could have gotten off that altar. He could have, um, he could have juked. That's, that's what we used to call it. He could have put the juke on his dad. His dad was older. Couldn't juke like the son, but he didn't. He didn't do any of those things. He he lays down his life. You know what it means to juke, right? Okay. Okay. All right. You're good. All right. We're good. We're all good. Heart, you got that? All right. We're good. But he, he doesn't. He, he does. He lays down his life, and that's what Jesus did. No one takes my life from me, Jesus said, but I lay it down. That's the same thing. I'm telling you, this is a, a perfect typology of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross at Mount Calvary, at Golgotha. Oh, at Mount Moriah. It's all the same place. It's the exact same place. Exact same place. And so, so he, uh, <clears throat> he I, I haven't even been following my notes. I'm just, I'm just in, forget the notes. Let's just keep going. This is just good stuff. So, so, um, so he says, uh, here I am, Abraham, Abraham. In fact, if I remember right, that is the first of seven. I think there are seven uh, double name callings. If you just ever want to just look those up. I I'm almost positive there are seven um, double, double callings of someone's name in Scripture. Um, huh? Saul, Saul. Yeah, uh, Abraham, Abraham. I, I can't remember all of them. Saul's definitely one. What is it? I, I can't remember. I want to say yes, but I can't remember. Um, I wrote them down, but I, I didn't bring that with me. Um, but there, but there's seven. Just look it up. That's not important for tonight either. Just look it up. It's just another fun little interesting thing to chase down because uh, there's an emphasis there when you look at each of these double, where each of these ones that were called. There's something very specific that God's wanting. 
to get their attention about. And if you start looking, you, it's a very interesting study. Maybe we'll do that another night. But uh, he says, here I am, verse 11. So verse 12. <clears throat> and so he said, and, and the he here is the angel of the Lord. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do uh, nothing to him. <clears throat> For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And that's repeated several times here. Your son, your only son. Your son, your only son. He says, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Now, stop for a second. Does that sound odd to anybody? Let's back up. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord, and literally the angel of Yahweh, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, meaning Abraham, said, here I am. And then he said, meaning the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Wait, who's talking here? Huh? That's right. The angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, is Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem. It's a pre-incarnate visit of Jesus Christ. So, um, remember, Jesus is eternally God. He's eternally God. And we're going to see several times. Uh, we've already seen it now um, elsewhere. But we're going to continue to see pre-incarnate Jesus before he's born in, uh, as a babe in the manger. We're going to keep seeing the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh. And so, since you have not withheld your only son from me. So what he's saying is, as the angel of the Lord, he's God. He's God. That's, again, not insignificant. That's something very, very important. And so then look at verse 13. <clears throat> your son, your only son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Just the similarities here are, are, are overwhelming. So verse 14, or excuse me, verse 13. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Now before we look at the name, turn to, turn to John. Turn to John 1. Turn to John chapter 1 in the New Testament. Look at verse... Hang on, as soon as I can see again. I think it's verse 29. Yes, verse 29. This is why John the baptizer, John the Baptist, when he yells out this, this, just, this is amazing. Look at this. What a coincidence this statement is. You ready? The next day he saw Jesus, meaning John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Folks, Jesus is the Lamb of God. And, and look what God has provided here in the thicket. I mean, a lamb. It's, it's a ram. It's a male. But, but he's providing this sacrifice. Abraham looks up and there's the Lamb you know, the, the ram to be offered. It's there, provided by God. John the Baptist looks up and behold, the Lamb of God. I mean, the, the, over, the parallels are just they're, just, they're too much. I can't stand it any longer. It's just too much. It's just too much. And yet, let's keep reading. Verse 14. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And literally, in Hebrew, it would be, uh, we would say Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. But Jehovah Jireh is how we Anglicize it. But uh, the Lord will provide. God will provide. Yahweh will provide, specifically. And so, because Lord, all caps, is Yahweh. So, that place was called Jehovah Jireh. Now, as a new Christian, there was a song we learned uh, called Jehovah Jireh. Uh, Jehovah Jireh is real Jewish flair to it. I, I like those Jewish songs. I know most people don't anymore. But anybody else like those Jewish-filled songs? There's, a, there's two of us. All right, PJ. Uh, uh, but anyway, I won't even sing it for you. I don't want to... PJ, I'll sing it for you later, okay? All right, so Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And that's, what a, what a testament. When Moses is writing, he's compiling these, these words, it's called in that day, the, the Lord will provide, the, uh, or in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And again, uh, when Abraham sacrifices his son, you look into the future some, how many, how many years? Anybody? Some 2,000 years into the future when the Father God is going to sacrifice God the Son. Sacrifice His only begotten Son. In a place where it's called the Mount of the Lord, it will be provided. It's the same place. It's the same place. 
I'm just ecstatic here. Look at verse 15. Then the angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, <clears throat> By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Again, this is, this is Jesus swearing by himself as only he can do, right? By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. There it is again. There's another time. Your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. Now notice, he's going to restate the Abrahamic covenant here yet again. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now ultimately, who's that seed that's going to bless? It's Jesus. I mean, here's Jesus speaking it. And yes, the people are going to be blessed. And yes, there are promises that are still uh, going to be fulfilled to them and through them, with them. And yet, the seed, the ultimate seed of Abraham, that promise, is none other than Jesus who was making the promise to start with. That's just crazy. I'm telling you, this is, we're, we're going we're gonna to be here at least five more months. We're going we're gonna to go back through this uh, at least for the next, that no, won't be that long. But probably another week at least we'll be here. Let's, let's keep reading though. But it's Jesus. By myself I've sworn. And what is he swearing? Partly that he, right, he is the blessing. That he himself is going to be the blessing. Uh, anyway, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. Now if that was me talking, if I was Jesus, I'd be going, it's me. I'm the blessing. I'm going to bless you with me. But anyway, Jesus is way better than I am. He's way cooler than I am too. So uh, where do we leave off? Verse 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Verse 19. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. Now hold on a second. What's missing? Let's go back. Who's with him? He goes up. It's him and... Well, wait, no, no. He left the servants. Abraham goes on up further with Isaac. He's going to perform the sacrifice and, and like God told him to do, the angel of the Lord, Jesus stops him. Jesus restates this blessing, gives a few more details, right, in, the, in these blessings here and, 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 and says, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies and in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. Who's missing? <gasps> Did he kill Isaac after all? No. But folks, listen. This is how awesome God is. This is how profound, how prophetic. This is how the type is just beautifully cast for what's going to happen with the Father and the Son. Isaac is, is providentially, all right, editorially wiped out of the record here. Now, now, just hold on to that. Isaac wasn't killed, okay? But there's no mention of Isaac coming down. And there's a, I think there is a profound reason why there's no mention for him coming down. You want to know what it is? Stay tuned. Just hold on. All right? Let's read just a little bit further. Read just a little bit further. Now, it came about... Uh, so, so, sorry, verse 19. So, Abraham returned to his young men. And let me just throw in some commentary. Without Isaac. And the, they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now, Isaac's name's not mentioned. I'm not saying Isaac didn't come back with him. But his name's not mentioned. There's no mention of Isaac's name. Now, let's keep reading and see what, what happens next. Now, it came about after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, who also has borne children to your brother Nahor, um, uh, Uz, his, his firstborn, and, and or it's, um, uh, we'd say, use, use, it's, it's a little bit different there, but his firstborn, and, and, and Buz, his, his brother, and Kimuel, uh, the father of Aram, uh, and Chesed, and Hazo, uh, Hazo, actually, and uh, uh, Pildesh, and um, <clears throat> I'm trying too hard on these things, Chesed, uh, and Hazo, and Pildesh, and Jidlef, and um, Bethuel, Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. If I just read them, it's a lot easier if I just attack them. His concubine, whose name was uh, Ruma, also bore Teba uh, and Gema and Tehash and um, Maka. Maka, the t double A sound there, Maka. And so, so all of these people. Now, again, what's missing here is still Isaac. So just 
real quickly, it's 659. Just real quickly, just look at a few more verses with me. Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. That's important to remember in Hebron. Um, uh, the, the, the Hebron Valley. We, we say Hebron today, but in, 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 in Hebron. And uh, in, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went uh, in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Verse 3. Then Abraham rose from, uh, rose from before his dead and spoke to his sons, excuse me, to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord. Uh, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury, and, and just real quick, remember, remember how wealthy Abraham is. Remember, he's, I mean, he's, he's a world ruler. I mean, he's, he would be considered a, a king of, upon the earth. He's very wealthy at this point. So, so they're normally and, and obviously very respectful of, of him and his power. So, hear us, my lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our graves. None of us will refuse you the, uh, his grave for burying your dead. What a, what a profound honor this is. Verse 7. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with him, saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, uh, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of of Machpelah, which he owns, <coughs> which is at the end of his field, for the pro full price, let him give it to me in your presence for burial site. Again, notice what Abraham's doing. He's not just accepting a gift that can be taken back. He's purchasing these places. He's buying this, and he's asking for witnesses. Again, very important. He's doing rightly. He's going above and beyond to be above reproach in all of these dealings that he's doing now. So perhaps Abraham's learned some lessons along the way at this point. I would say amen to that. But just very quickly, a couple more verses. Uh, uh, now Ephraim was sitting among <coughs> the sons of Heth, and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went into the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of, my son, of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephraim in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. And this is, this is it. No, no, you listen to me. This is just made for TV stuff right here. Then um, uh, he says, No, my Lord, you listen to me. <clears throat> um, a, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what, uh, what is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the, uh, for Ephron the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in uh, Mechpelah, uh, which faced Mamre, uh, the field and cave which was in it, and all the trees uh, which were in the field, all the trees of the field will shout, will shout for joy. Just remember that. There's another song in there, but it's going to be important later. Uh, and all the trees which were in the field that were, uh, that were within all the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of, the, of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, uh, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. Now I know, I just read an entire chapter here. We didn't talk a whole lot about it, but, but really you see what's happening. We've, we've really hit the high points of this chapter. But again, there's still something that's obviously missing. And the, what's missing is all of this discourse is taken. All of this, the, the, the aging and the death of Sarah. Uh, now the purchasing of a burial plot for her. All of that's taking place. So time is transpiring and still there's no sun. The sun has been editorially removed from the, 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 the story. Now, it's 7.04. And I'm going to stop here, but I'm emphasizing that point for a reason. When we come back to Genesis and we're in these chapters, we're going to be moving now in towards chapter 24. And, and just look real quick how... It, how does, does yours have a title, in fact? What? A bride for Isaac or the marriage of Isaac. Now, do you see the parallel already of what's happening here? Jesus... The Father gave the Son on the cross. I'm just telling you the answer now, but we're going to come back to it and look at it historically and prophetically. 
God gave his only son whom he, I just can't help it, I just can't help it, whom he loved, his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus came, all right, and, and, and he redeemed a bride for himself. He's gone away now. And he's preparing a place. We talked about that this morning. He's gone away now. And he's preparing a place for a bride. He's out of the picture. He's editorially removed from the story temporarily. Okay? The bride's still here. The son's not. The son's not. One day the son's going to return at the father's command for his bride. What's the father doing right now? The father is, is, is readying a bride. The Father's securing the bride, making sure we're holy, we're clean, we're obedient, all those things. It's the same thing. I'm telling you, this type, this is the most profound prophetic type in all, in my opinion, in all of the Old Testament. This one right here, because it points to Jesus. Not just on the cross, but even in His return for us, His bride. This is huge. Now, I'm going to leave you with that. But just again, remember, editorially removed. Isaac's out. And when he comes back, we're even going to see. I'm backing up. All right, I'm just, I'm really excited. Brad, I'm, I'm telling you, I just can't help it. When we come back next time, we're going to see the Holy Spirit in here as well. <gasps> what? The Holy Spirit? Yes. I'm not going to tell you where, but the Holy Spirit is named in the rest of the story here we're going to see. That's right. Amen. That's right. And, and, and Mike, I'm going to just tell you, um, uh, I, I, I pray for a lot of folks. I do. But, and I don't say that to boast. But, but one person that I, that I don't really know, I've met him, but I don't know him, Ken Ham. I, do, I pray for Ken Ham and the ministry of Answers in Genesis. I think they are on the front lines of, of ministry today because of what you just said. They are upholding the truth of Scripture from the very first book. And they focus on Genesis, creation or, or what have you. And they do. And that is absolutely essential to the gospel and to anything else that comes after Genesis. Amen to that. But we're going to see the Holy Spirit here. And uh, it's going to be in a very unlikely place. And so uh, I'm, just, I'm super excited about, about the rest of the story. Who was that that used to say that? And now... Paul Harvey, yeah, now the rest of the story, that's right. But anyway, we're going to stop right there. Uh, so uh, any questions?